2: Good morning! It is Wednesday, March 9th, 2022, and you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais, and yes, I'm normally on the first Wednesday of the month, but last (laughs) week we had Dr. Thaddeus Romanski take his turn at the first uh, Wednesday and I was relegated to the second Wednesday. <laughs>
0: we we made this special schedule just for you. We put him back, not you. you ah. know, we didn't relegate you. We relegated
2: him. As always, we have a great show for you this morning. <laughs> the second part of the show today, we're ha- going to have a conversation with Deacon Ralph Poyo. Deacon Ralph is a founder of New Evangelization Ministries. Um The ministry of NEM is all about evangelization by presenting the gospel at various types of missions, retreats, and conferences, or training others on how to share faith in the good news of Jesus Christ. But first, as always, we want to welcome everyone listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM, Hearn, Bryan College Station. Also, welcome to our Central Texas listeners on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena, Waco. And a shout out to our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. We are pre recorded this morning, so we won't be giving out the phone number, and uh, you won't be able to call in. If you do, no one will answer the phone. You'll get put on hold. Exactly. And as you can tell by the voice on the other microphone, I am joined in the studio this morning by the president of our radio station, Dennis Maka. Good, Good morning. morning. Good morning to you,
0: Deacon. Great to have you. And yeah, it's going to be great to have two great Deacons on for the second part of our show.
2: Yes. It's uh, the interview we, uh, of course, pre-recorded. So uh, it's a wonderful interview and um, Deacon Ralph is very dynamic and um uh, has a good perspective on things.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting though. It's ah, this is groundbreaking for for a Catholic radio station, folks. You heard it right here. We're going to be talking about something you may have never heard before. It's called evangelization. Yes. It's something we're all supposed to be doing. And so, you know, buckle up because he's going to teach you some great things about what we're supposed to be doing as Catholics that maybe we aren't integrating into everything that we do, including the coffee and donuts.
2: Yes. (laughs) I find it interesting that when we uh, look at the history of the new evangelization, we have had Pope Paul VI talk about the new evangelization. Mm -hmm. We've had St. John Paul II talk about the new evangelization. We've had Pope Benedict XVI talk about the new evangelization. And we've had Pope Francis talk about the new evangelization and yet, who's the one?
0: Been...
2: <laughs> who's the one that always gets it gets rooted to is? Well, uh, the point I'm uh, making is the fact that we're still mostly just talking about it.
0: Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were saying we always accredit that to uh, to Saint Pope John Paul II.
2: Yeah. Well, yes, he's the one who gets m- most of the credit for uh, this. Uh, but ultimately, each one of the popes since Paul VI has emphasized the need. True for this. And so I'd uh, like to remind all of us, as uh, Dennis already did, that the job of the church is evangelization. That Mm -hmm. is the role of the church, to bring God to the world. And so each Christian has the responsibility of sharing their faith with others. And this is much more than just mentioning that I'm a Christian. It is explaining why Mm -hmm. we are Christians. As St. Paul put it, always be ready to give a defense of your hope. Mm -hmm. Now, before we get into uh, another topic, I do want to begin with a prayer. And uh, I would like to pray the St. John Paul II prayer for families. So let us begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord God. From you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love, with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, for the first part of the show, since we are in the season of Lent, and Ash Wednesday was last Wednesday, so mm-hmm. we have had a week of this, and as I mentioned to Deacon Ralph, that, you know, after the first week, I'm still solidly on good footing in the... All the things that I decided I was going to do for Lent, and uh, so I still have hope that I will carry it through the entire 40 days. But I thought we'd talk a little a bit about what Lent is, why we celebrate Lent, and then what the three major constituents of Lent are and why they're so important in our spiritual life. All right. Uh, Of course, Lent is actually the 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Holy Thursday because Mm -hmm. Lent ends with the beginning of the tritium. It actually ends at the celebration of the Mass of the Holy Eucharist.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And the reason Lent is there is because traditionally – Easter is when Catholics came into the church. In the early church, there was a period of preparation, and the last 40 days of that preparation—and nowadays, people complain that RCIA is too long. It usually lasts (laughs) nine months. It used to be three years. But the last 40 days of that was a time of preparation, and to this day in RCIA— Uh, We usually celebrate the rite of election at the first Sunday of Lent and then celebrate with the elect Mm -hmm. the preparation period. And celebration is probably the wrong word for that. We just journey with them to prepare for Easter, for receiving the sacraments. And people might be going, well, if this is for the people receiving the sacraments, why am I going through Lent, well, all of us are called to receive the sacrament of the Eucharist at least once a year Mm -hmm. during the season of Easter. So, in effect, each one of us is preparing for the reception of the sacraments. Wow! And so, even though you may have been a Catholic for the last 80 years of your life, it still is vitally important that we give thought to, am I prepared? Am I ready to receive our Lord in the Eucharist? And so, the best time of the year to really contemplate this is a season of Lent. And so, as we journey through Lent, be it as Catholics or as the elect preparing for the sacraments,
0: mm-hmm.
2: the church provides us tools Three of them. Three of them to aid us in this preparation. The first one is prayer. Mm-hmm. The only way that we can truly know what we're preparing for is to get to know the person we're preparing for. And the way we get to know that person is communication, praying. And there is no difference in how we pray. There are no Incorrect prayers, prayers is being open to communication with God. If I pray the rosary, if I pray a divine mercy chaplet, if I pray to God as I'm driving to work, if I pray to God in desperation at work or (laughs) school, there is no incorrect way of doing this. What is important is that we are mindful of the fact that we need to pray. We need to be able to communicate with God. Now, the second part of this is fasting. Now, this, in our culture, is an extremely difficult concept for people to grasp. Why should I give up anything? But the I whole... was
0: having that same discussion with our <laughs> teenager just the other day. <laughs> but why? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Let's well, see if I got the, got the answer right. Go the ahead. whole
2: point of fasting is... To demonstrate, not to God, but to ourselves, Mm -hmm. that we are capable of saying no to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because if I am incapable of saying no to myself, then I have lost part of what it means to be human. Because the whole point of human is that we have free will. We are not governed by instinct. We are not governed by our physical desires, we are governed by will. And if I'm incapable of saying I am not going to do this, which I want to do, then I'm dealing strictly on instinct. Mm -hmm. And so, God gives us Lent to practice this, which is why it's so important that we give up something that we truly value, Mm -hmm. so that it is actually... A test of our ability to deny ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm. I shared with mm-hmm. with our daughter that it's a training ground for giving up sin because if you can mm-hmm. give up things that you like, you know sometimes there's some sins that we really like to hold on to, you know, and so it, it's a it's a good training ground.
2: Yes, and this is the whole point of this is that I can deny myself small things that when the opportunity arises when I. I'm faced with something large, a sin that I'm really struggling with, Mm -hmm. that I've had the practice to tell myself no. Mm -hmm. And so so often we dismiss fasting and abstinence throughout Lent as it's not going to do anything. Well, if I'm not doing it, it's definitely not going to do anything. (laughs) And so, you know, I urge everyone to decide even— A week into Lent, if you haven't up to this point, think of something to give up and practice saying no. The last part of this is almsgiving, and almsgiving is our understanding of what the meaning of charity is. Mm -hmm. Is it just giving to the poor, or is it giving? Uh, No. Okay. Uh, It is... uh, Largely, of course, the thought of giving to the poor, but it's the giving, mm-hmm. and it's not just giving it to somebody that I like. It's more <laughs> important that I give to someone where I'm getting nothing in return. Okay, And so almsgiving can be to the church. It can be to a charity. It can be to a poor person. It can be to someone in the family that's in need. It is the giving for no other reason— than that I am called to share what I have with others, and so it is not by accident that the word "love" that we use in Scripture is actually charity, mm-hmm. and so we express our love in how charitable we are, in how, and this is charity not just in act uh, in. Money, monetary terms, but in action as well.
0: Time, talent, treasure. Time,
2: talent, and treasure. And sometimes for us, especially in this culture, it is our time, which is far more valuable Mm. than even money. True to that. So this season of Lent, as we're going through it, I urge everyone, give some thought to how you're going to practice praying, fasting, fasting and almsgiving. As promised, we're going to come back in the second seg- segment, talking with Deacon Ralph Poyo, the founder of New Evangelization Ministries. And quick reminder, it is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take any phone calls. Now, when we come back on the other side, we will have our interview, and I hope everyone sticks around as we go to our break, and uh, see you all on the other side. Slide. And we are back. You're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais, and as promised in a moment, we're going to be speaking with Deacon Ralph Poyo, the founder of the New Evangelization Ministries. Good morning, Deacon Ralph. How are you doing? I
1: am blessed. I pray you are well.
2: We are doing fine here. We have started our season of lent and so far we are actually holding steady on the things that we have promised to do for lent of course it's only the first week so we will see how that goes
1: wonderful yeah i gave up fasting for lent i think i'm gonna be very
2: but... <laughs> uh now dick and ralph Uh, You founded New Evangelization Ministries, but before we go into your organization, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Because, you know, your bio says that you were born to uh, a Colombian mother and a Cuban father in Colombia.
1: Yes, correct. I was was born in Colombia, South America. My uh, father was working for General Motors. He was an American citizen born in Cuba, so came to the States and uh, served in the military and then got a job with General Motors and met my mother in, in, uh, in a, while working at a dealership in Colombia, in Bogota, Colombia. They got married and had four boys, and I'm the youngest, and then he moved us to the States when I was about two and a half and uh, lived in Atlanta for about six years and then really grew up in Miami, Florida, uh, met my wife. Had our five girls there, then moved from Miami to Raleigh, where we wanted to raise our children a little bit out of South Florida. It was not a great place, I thought. Um, and that's where I uh, served the church. I, I did full-time youth ministry for 23 years and uh, director of faith formation at a parish in Raleigh for seven years and was ordained in Raleigh to the diaconate, permanent diaconate. And uh, about a year and a half after that I heard the Lord call me and say it's time to go. So he uh, gave me the vision for this ministry, the evangelization ministries and and uh, just took a big jump, moved my family and, uh, out of my, uh, Raleigh to uh, Steubenville, Ohio and that's where I was living for 14 15 years till about uh, well until a year, a year ago last December and now I currently live in Georgetown, Texas.
2: Now, I'm always curious when I uh, talk to someone that uh, had a call to the permanent diaconate. When did you first sense that you might have a calling to the diaconate?
1: Well, it's something I'd looked at when I was young, uh, when I had a conversion experience and started working in youth ministry in Miami, but... They had very specific rules in that diocese. If you had young children, you certainly could not enter the formation process. and uh, of course, I, at that point, I was still too young. but so just kind of put that off that thought to the background for a while. And then, while I was in um, in Raleigh, was starting to become a daily communicant, and at the time of uh, this two week period, the time of the consecration, the elevation. Uh, I, I started to hear, come be my deacon, and it happened two weeks straight every day. And uh, so he ha- obviously had my attention, and I said, well, Lord, I, I hear you calling me, but there's no diaconate program in, in our diocese. And sure enough, six months later, uh, the diocese announced they were launching the first class of formation for the for the diaconate in Raleigh.
2: Ask and you shall
1: receive. There you go.
2: How did you end up from Raleigh, North Carolina, to living here in Texas?
1: Well, we I was uh, affiliated, loosely affiliated, with Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. I started speaking at their youth conferences and adult conferences in 2000. And um, so just love the university, love the education that they were offering. My kids grew up watching me speak at these conferences, and eventually three of the five attended the university, uh, and we just felt um, just a strong tie to the university. So when we moved to Steubenville, the Lord Lord had asked us to do so. We were getting our um, second daughter settled into school up at Franciscan, and my wife and I both separately heard the Lord say, it's time to move. And so on the eight-hour drive home, I, you know, we were looking at each other going, are you hearing God say it's time to move? And we said, yeah. So we prayed for eight hours and said, Lord, what's your will? And it was pretty clear, be prepared to move by next summer and tell your bosses now. So I went in and told my pastor where I was working and her, she was working at an elementary school and she told her principal that this was going to be our last year and that in the summertime we would be moving. He asked me where. I said, I don't know, because the Lord hadn't revealed that yet. And he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. <laughs> I just know that the Lord said it's time to go. So, and he told, he commanded me to tell you. So here I am. And then about a month and a half later is when he, in prayer, asking him, Lord, we, we did what you told us to do. You want to tell us where we're going and what we're doing? He said, you're going to Steubenville. And then he, in in just in just prayer, unfolded a vision for new evangelization ministries. So we, um, I started to create a nonprofit and, uh, And now the Lord gave me three very clear, distinct rules in doing that. He said, I couldn't charge fees for speaking. I could do no major fundraising and I can do no major publicity, which for business model is absolutely horrible, but it's what the Lord wanted. So we just obeyed. And I, I, all I did is sent out an email blast to all the people on my email list, contact list and, and began the journey. And next thing you know, checks started arriving and, And between the checks and my home parish giving us a going-away party and a check basket, we ended up having like $40,000 seat money to move. And so we moved with three speaking engagements on the books, and my wife had no job, and my kids were going into high school or already in high school or going into high school, and a couple were in college. So it was a pretty – now as I look back at it, I realize, wow, that was really a big jump, and it didn't seem like it then, but I guess it was.
2: I find it interesting that most of the people I know that have a sense of a calling from God, wanting them to move in a certain direction, are always lacking detail. It's, uh, you know, here at the radio station, you know, Dennis started this radio station and basically it's just go do this and no details. Hey,
0: Deacon Ralph, this is Dennis. Um, I will concur because I think if I were given all the details, I would have run in the opposite direction.
1: There you go. I was spoon-fed
0: one little bite at a time, and that's all I needed to know. Yeah. And.
1: and amen. Yeah, because he was growing our faith, right? He wanted us to move in faith, not in knowledge.
2: Yes, and I, I think so often when we read the story of Abraham and, you know, pack up your things and just go. And we think, oh, that must have been, you know, so overwhelming, but to this very day it still happens all the time.
1: Yeah, so true.
2: Now, as far as the ministry goes, I'm going to read something here which is from your website, it's from Redemptoris Misio, And it says there's an intermediate situation in countries with ancient Christian roots and occasionally in the younger churches as well, where entire groups of the baptized have lost a living sense of the faith or even no longer consider themselves members of the church and live a life far removed from Christ and his gospel. In this case, what is needed is a new evangelization or re-evangelization. And that's what your ministry is all about. So... When did you decide this is what you needed to do?
1: Well, uh, again, the Lord gave me the clear directive to go and um, and and really do what I had experienced. I I was one of those kids who grew up in the church, and it was my faith was an inherited faith from my parents. They were not. They were not. They were probably more cultural Catholics than they were. Um, faith-filled Catholics, at least my until my parents' later years when they became much more faith-filled. But I was one of those kids who got confirmed, and then I left the church because it really didn't mean anything to me. So in high school, when I had a conversion experience, and someone, and through a Protestant non-denominational group, um, and my Catholic girlfriend, who was uh, who's now my wife— um, between those efforts, I I found the Lord. I found what I had never found when I was in my uh, cultural Catholic, you know, religious education programs um, that were frankly, even at that time, starting to become antiquated because, you know, those were used in the days of Christendom. And of course, Christendom and and Blessed Fulton Sheen's day was was dead. And we were now starting to come out of that. And so you could hear the church call, and I I know everybody kind of coins the phrase to John Paul II, the new evangelization, when it was really Paul VI who started it, made the initial statement, and it was really a call not to go out and evangelize from our churches, but it was a call to go into our churches and evangelize the sacramentalized. So we had been continuing to sacramentalize people without ever really evangelizing them. And so it's really the new evangelization is really a movement to go back into our pews and evangelize those who are sitting right there, um, who are, who have to some degree been, you know, again faith-filled Catholics in terms of doing what what they were simply told to do: go go to mass, be good people, that get your sacraments, that that hype kind of deal. But of course, as we've seen, that that doesn't retain people. Uh, and we've just consistently been losing more and more people. So it became really clear that was that was a passion of my heart when I found the Lord and realized, gosh, there's so many kids that were like me who went through the process, received the carrots, so to speak, but never really understood the why of our faith. And that's something that I'm very big on these days, particularly now post-COVID, um, I'm really emphasizing the why. Why are we Catholic? Why do we believe what we believe? Why are we going through Lent? Why do we need to do the things that we're doing? Why God? Uh, The world wants to know, and we've just been very um, ineffective in trying to articulate that message for the multitude, both on a personal level as well as, I believe, in a corporate level.
2: I want to remind our listeners, we're talking with Deacon Ralph Poyo, the founder of the New Evangelization Ministries. And I want to remind everybody that this uh, segment of the program is pre-recorded. Deacon Ralph, a couple of things that you brought up in the last uh, uh, few minutes. One is the idea that we need to evangelize the sacramentalized. And one of the things that I've noted is that in the past... Even if people were not catechized that much, it rarely was their faith challenged the way it is nowadays. And nowadays, the challenge comes from all directions uh, different uh, uh, Christian denominations, uh, the secular world, even school. And so, A lot of times, the young people have no answers, and so they believe there are no answers. Is that something that you've seen
1: also? Oh, absolutely. Sure. I I think, you know, in many ways, you look at the culture around us, and people are still, particularly with the uncertainty of life and all the craziness that's happening these days, people are looking for something authentic, and they want to know, I, as I go around, I tell people, you know, the the question that's being asked of the evangelist today is, how do you know Jesus is real? Don't tell me about what he did 2,000 years ago. Don't tell me stories from the Bible. Tell me about what you know, what you, how do you know that he's real today? And and frankly, we've not, um, you know, the average Catholic sitting in the pews has never really had any any sort of real formation or development in being able to give a clear articulation to that. You know, we, we've not been good at processing the times we've encountered God, where he's shown up. Um, and so we have it, find it difficult to put voice to it, let alone give, you know, testimony, which is such a foreign thing for so many Catholics. Um, they, they would pre- to ha- prefer to have a private faith in God, and yet that's that's not Christianity at all. Um, we're supposed to go out and share what we've been given and, and share what we have found. Um, So, but we do have a culture now that wants to make God irrelevant, um, doesn't want to believe in God, uh, and is trying to push God and everything of God, church and everything to the peripheral, uh, you know, and if they could outright, you know, move us totally out of the public square. Um, You see it. We live in a tolerant society, so they say, and yet the only organization that don't tolerate is the Judeo-Christian faith belief, that group
2: because it challenges the false belief system of the culture.
1: Amen. Uh
2: one other thing that you brought up that I find fascinating and uh, you're not the only person that has mentioned this is people that have had a reversion to their Catholic faith have done so a lot of times through Protestant youth ministry where
1: Yes.
2: And uh th- which tells me that uh you know, your ministry is vitally important, especially when you're dealing with young people, to provide a Catholic version of this, to draw young people back to their faith with the truth.
1: Oh, I, th- I think so. I believe so. Uh, most of my focus these days—I I mean, I did work with youth ministry for, for many years, and now uh, in recent history, the Lord is really— asked me to now focus on the adults. Um, So the only time I really speak with youth is if I'm doing an adult event at a parish, for example, and they have a school, then I go in and I'll speak and address Mm -hmm. the kids in the school or the Catholic high school in the area, that kind of deal. Um, But his, he's, he's made it pretty clear. He wants me to spend, you know, the time that I have really focusing on, on um, well, these days now it's really focusing on the remnant (laughs) that we need to prepare with for the days to come I think
2: which brings up something else that I noticed on uh, your website is for sacramental formation especially for confirmation for young people how important it is to engage the parents as much as the kids and one of the things that you mentioned is that you know parishes that have a mandatory retreat for the parents in conjunction with sacramental formation. What a great benefit that is because it helps the parents journey with their children.
1: Yes, and most of the parents, frankly, have missed it. Most of the parents were recipients of that antiquated religious education program where they were given sacraments, but you know, these days, most parents view sacraments and confirmation particularly as the end of religious education, not the beginning of it, because the the goal was not to get God. The goal was to get the sacrament. And so, and why would they do that? Because that's what they were given, and that's what they understood the process to be. And so that's all that they're really looking for to give their own kids. So providing, um, I've seen lots of different models in my travels, and probably one of the best models I've seen is one that's done out in California. The, the pastor um, made, made it requ- a requirement that any pa- parents who had children in a sacrament year when wanting to receive their sacraments had to go through a weekend parent retreat, and it was purely evangelistic. And so I was brought in to do one of those, re- a couple of those retreats for them. Um, and the whole purpose was present the kerygma, bring them to proper disposition to receive the fruits and lead them to a conversion and encounter with Christ and invite them to pray and take that leap of faith. Um, and so, yeah, it's been, it, and as he had a really hard time at the very beginning, as most pastors would, I mean, you're going to get, you're going to take some serious hits if you're a pastor doing that. But after that first year, boy, that parish was ignited. I mean, it was ignited, and the parents who went through the process, went through the retreat, came back and started you know, giving testimony and, and growing and developing and forming and, and helping out in those retreats. And now parents are helping other parents with kids who are getting sacraments um, to come to know the Lord. It's been very, very powerful experience for that parish, and they've just exploded. But boy, that pastor sure had to pay for it at the beginning up front.
2: Which was one of the things I was going to bring up, because the thing you usually run into, especially in a town that has more than one Catholic church, is that, you know, parents get upset that there's no requirement that they feel is uh, above and beyond what they should be required to do. And so, well, we're just going to move to a parish that doesn't require this. So it really takes courage from the pastor to say, but this is what we're doing at this parish.
1: Yes, yeah. And frankly, I mean if that's if the parish parents are just shopping around because they're looking for the carrot, then it's not gonna enhance your program anyway. Yes. Um, it's hard it's a hard statement to say, but again, I I think one of the things that we've done in the church that has allowed us to lose so many people is that we have lost conviction of our own gospel message. We have lost the belief that we have actually something very profound to offer the people who are coming into our you know, to our parish. Um, We have something that will change the world, but we've lost conviction for it, so we try to water it down or offer other things in conjunction with it, as if Jesus himself is not enough uh, to provide uh, for the needs of the people who come. We've just done a poor job of articulating that and and can do better at that. And so that's, again, something I'm very passionate about. How do you you transform a parish and make it self-evangelizing is really something that I'm very focused on. Because if a parish can become self-evangelizing, and it's the people in the pews who recognize that that's their responsibility, and they say, you know, I don't even know the people sitting next to me, and I'm worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, so I'm going to change that. I'm going to take it upon myself, and by the time Mass is over, I want to know who they are, and maybe I'll invite them out for, for brunch or a cup of coffee after Mass, uh, and begin the evangelization process, which is always relationship building. So what
2: I'm hearing is that your job is to put yourself out of a job.
1: Oh, that would be great. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Then I'll just go back and do it in my own parish. So that, yes. that's great. Then I'll help out at St. Patrick's. Um uh,
2: just want to remind our listeners again that uh, you're listening to the Red Sea Roundup. Uh, I'm talking with Deacon Ralph Poyo, the founder of New Evangelization Ministries. Now, you've been doing this for a while. Would you tell us a little bit about the high points of doing this? What have you found to be most fulfilling?
1: Well, obviously, going to a parish um, and preaching an evangelistic mission and watching the Holy Spirit just come and transform these people over the course of four nights is just a mountaintop experience. I mean, you know, seeing the transfiguration of Jesus must have been amazing. But watching how the Spirit comes in and transforms these people who were coming in, who were hungry, they were looking for the Lord. And um, my preaching style is I, I don't really pull punches. I just kind of try to—I speak the truth. And I, you know, and I, and I want to— go in and, and dig into the, the serious issues of what we're struggling with the church and, and point them out and say, you know, maybe we're missing something. Maybe there's more that we could be doing and then call people on to, to go deeper in faith. And, um, so that, that is always for me an extremely high point. Uh, other times too is just, uh, available, you know, when I'm not preaching, um, uh, helping people in training on retreats, different types of things that I'd, I'd like to do, my original vision was to train people in the pews to do one-on-one evangelization and the church frankly hasn't been ready yet and it's been 15 years but it's almost there it's almost there because we need to prepare the people in the pews to be able to give answer to lead people to the lord when all the when all these people start turning around and going oh my gosh i i want god but i don't know how to find him and so we need people in the pews ready to go so for me watching people catch on and gain confidence in their ability to share their faith, give their testimony, and understand what it is they're actually trying to accomplish. Um, one of the things that maybe is a little bit different than what I, uh, from what I offer is I try to help people understand what's the five-foot view of evangelization, not the 5,000-foot not the view that we get from a, a Cardinal World book or, you know, a Scott Hahn who gives us great vision, but how do you do that in a local parish? And that, to me, is something that is is very exciting uh, when parishes begin to capture the vision and understand, oh my gosh, evangelization should be something that's not like one of 13 other initiatives in the Church. Evangelization should be undergirding everything the Church does, right? Every single movement in the Church. So religious education needs to start evangelizing, because otherwise we're just continuing to, to create more adults that we're trying to evangelize later in their adulthood. Um so RCIA needs to have an evangelization piece piece at the very beginning. Um uh, donuts, coffee and donuts needs to have an evangelization piece. How do we do relationship building? So seeing parishes begin to capture the vision of, wow, how do we really infuse evangelization into everything that we do? Um, so and create points of conversion, which I think a lot of times we don't we don't really do. We don't in the church right now, the way the Catholic Church is set up, we don't have metrics to measure that. And I think if we added some evangelization metrics, we would start seeing some some real conversions when the bishop calls the pastor and says, hey, um, let's see your numbers. How many baptisms did you have? Great. How many conversions did you have? What? What do you mean conversions? How many people were evangelized? Well, what does that look like? And then we'd have to actually describe it and know what, what it is that we're looking for. Um so things like that are very high points for me in terms of seeing, seeing local parishes begin to capture the understanding of, of what evangelization, evangelization actually is, and it's not this obscure thing that's out in the middle of nowhere, and we're just saying, well, let's invite people to church, and while that could be evangelistic, it's not the five-foot view of saying, this person's never encountered the Lord, has no idea what that looks like, and how do we bring them there? That, for me, is very exciting
2: which brings up an excellent point when you come to a parish and you're preparing to do a mission and someone comes up to you and goes, "Well, what is evangelization?" What
1: do you answer? Evangelization is the connecting of an individual's heart to the heart of God. And so the way I described it, you know, part of part of the definition I think that people get so tripped up on is because uh, people have a, a misunderstanding of the concepts of, for example, heaven and hell. They they simply think that heaven and hell are places we go to after we die. And the prevailing misguided thought is, if you're good, you go up, and if you're bad, you go down. And yet, the Catechism, I think it's 2794, teaches, that uh, when it refers to heaven, says that heaven is not this a place, or in parentheses, a space, but rather a way of being. So what is this way of being? And I articulate that as being heaven is to be in living in eternity in a nuptial relationship with God, which of course, nuptial means marriage, right? So Christ, the the church is seen as the bride of Christ. Israel was always viewed as the bride as Ezekiel uses the illustrate, uh, uses that language that God betrothed his people. And so if we look at our, our earthly marriages you know we're standing at the altar and giving our vows and what we're doing is seeking to now weave our lives and our hearts with our beloved and that's what god is inviting us to do to make him the first love and so evangelization leads people into that intimate nuptial relationship with god Uh, and i try to help them understand i said that you know the, the church is really clear the scriptures are clear when When we're born with original sin and we're lacking sanctifying grace, what we're saying is that we're born separated from God, and we're now starting to exist in eternity. And so we have this lifetime to find this relationship with God. And so heaven is not so much a place we're trying to get into after we die, but it's a nuptial love relationship with the living God that we must establish before we die, because we can't get into the beatific vision to see God the Father face-to-face, without the Holy Spirit alive and activated in our hearts. And so when we come to Judgment Day, we're not choosing—God's not choosing who's going to heaven or hell. The Catechism teaches that, too. It says, when a person freely remains in mortal sin, they freely choose to reject God and remain separated from Him, and therefore go to hell. He's simply going to look at our hearts and see whether or not His Spirit is alive and activated there. And if He is, great, welcome home. But if he's not, then he's going to simply honor what our heart's desire has been all of our life or our life on earth at the point of our death. And if our heart's desire was not to be in God's life and to have God a part of our life, then he'll honor that for the rest of eternity, which is a pretty sobering thought when you think of it.
2: I was going to ask what some of the greatest challenges are, but before we go into that, how much of a challenge is it when you refer to evangelization in terms of a nuptial relationship, when you look at the state of marriage and the culture we live in, how difficult is it to communicate that what we understand as a nuptial relationship with God doesn't look like the marriages in most of the people's lives that we know, where they're temporary, they're fragile, they're breakable.
1: Yeah, great question. So I would use the nuptial illustration with people who have been have had some level of catechesis before to understand uh, what we're talking about, because of course the church's and and the Lord's teaching of marriage is something far different, right? Yes. Than what the world is is seeking to pursue these days, uh, and you know, rightly so for a lot of different reasons. When you go back and say, well, why is the world so hesitant to that to do that? Well, how many what is the consequence of divorce and what kind of damage is, is being caused as a result of that that gives people ca- a cause to pause and maybe not enter into that for fear that they might, too, have that experience if they had that in their life with their parents? I think there's a, there's a level of understanding with that, but I, I think the difference would be, again, the, the point of making God the first and foremost love of your heart, the greatest desire of your heart. You know, and so I, I, what I'll do is I'll guide people to, I'll ask the question, you know, when we're sitting in church or we're sitting out at a coffee shop or something like that, I'm like, have you ever had the experience and the knowledge of God's love for you in your heart? And those who know what I'm talking about will go, oh my gosh, yes. Well, could you describe what that looked like? And they they, they can fumble, fumble through it usually, but it's usually a very profound experience. And then when people have no clue of what I'm talking about, then I'm saying, well, this is the point, is that there is an opportunity for us to experience the person. And he is a person who is the source of all love. So all the love that you experience. And I, you know, when I, when I talk to people, I say, look, we we all are in the same page and we all are in agreement with one particular thing. And that is that we want to experience love. We want to be loved by others and we want others to love. That's something we were made for. We have hearts that were created for love, and the scriptures are clear that God is love. So we're actually made for love, for God. And so the love that flows through your friends, from your parents, to pe- through you, to other people, its origin is God, and we're the conduits. And the truth is, is that we're never going to be free and fully satisfied and, and, and experience the fullness of our vocation as people who are made for love until we're absolutely free to love. But then we're not really free. We're not free. That's part of the problem of original sin and our own sins is that we're not free. We've become very self-centered and selfish, and it's all about what we can get. And now we've twisted everything around, and we're just in it for the feeling and the emotion, and we've lost one of the key elements that makes love so powerful, and that is the conviction that stands behind it. When I'm convicted by saying that I love you and i'm and I'm making a vow to stand before you and say, From this day forward, I promise to be faithful only to you, that I only choose to weave my life together with you, even though there might be times in my life when I'm tempted, whether sexually or otherwise, emotionally, to give my heart and my body to somebody else. I'm out of conviction of my love and selflessness. I choose to stand before you and tell you I want it only to be you. And when we convey this to God, we have we begin to live the truth of what God created us for. is this profound communion of love that we were made for. And usually when I talk with people who don't know the Lord and are trying to understand God, they can understand those concepts because they're so real. And they can also understand the other side of the fence, and that is the consequences of sin, the brokenness and the pain and the suffering, right? That because we chose to love, we're experiencing so much pain. And so I try to articulate it, in this way, I said, listen, here's the truth, all right, so that we're, and I think you will agree with me, you know, at least with this point, and I said, would you agree that, you know, when you look at the death of Christ, who, you know, if he was real, and he didn't, he didn't do anything wrong, and he was never, he never sinned, and he, if the teachings of the church is true on that point, then the greatest act of love in the world is Jesus' death on the cross, and if you look at it, and it, it, it reveals a very profound truth, and that is, to experience authentic love in a world that has fallen from grace, fallen from what it was originally intended to live, is to experience profound pain. You can't escape it. And so what we have been learning to do is we want people to love, but we're guarded. We put up walls and we wear, we're wearing masks and we love only in, in certain ways and in guarded ways. We're not even free to love our, our you know, our spouses fully because we're still afraid of being hurt. And I said, that's not what we were made for. We were made for something greater, but we're settling for something less.
2: I once more want to remind our listeners that we're talking with Deacon Ralph Poyo, the founder of New Evangelization Ministries. Now, Deacon Ralph, when you come to a parish and you do a retreat or parish mission, What is it that you would like the parish to come away with at the end of the mission or the retreat?
1: Well, that really depends on the leadership that brings me in. Uh, I try uh, to—I work real hard to clearly define with them, you know, what is it that they want to accomplish with the the time that I have, right? Because sometimes you can set up expectations that are just, you know, people will ask you—like, for example, I— I was asked when I was doing youth ministry, I went in to speak to a Catholic high school. And I said, um, they, so they said, I asked them, well, okay, you've got me for a 45-minute talk, presentation, a rally. What would you, what would you like to accomplish in this 45-minute talk? And they said, well, we want you to talk to them um, about chastity. I'm like, okay, can I ask you some questions? Yes. And, I, and they said, yes. And I said, um, do they know the Lord? And they're like, I'm sorry? Do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Uh, Is is the student population, you know, walking with God? Or is God just a religion, another subject in school, like oftentimes happens in Catholic schools? And like, well... You know, and then that's a telltale sign, actually, because if the staff member doesn't know what I'm talking about, then we've got even bigger problems. But anyway, um, you know, then so this particular school, they said, well, frankly, no, they're not. And the reason why we want you to talk about chastity is because we have an increase of student population getting pregnant. I said, okay, so here's the deal: what you're asking me to give a a topic on, if we had a, a ladder. you're asking me to. You're asking me to give a, a talk that would be like on the eleventh rung of the ladder, which they would never buy into, particularly in a forty-five minute talk, no matter how good the speaker is, uh, if they've never addressed the first rung of the ladder. Right? Why do? We, why would they care to know about chastity if they don't know Jesus? And and so that's why I work real hard with parishes to say, tell me what you want, what are you looking to accomplish, let me write you a proposal based on what you're looking for, um, and then let's pray through this and see what the Spirit wants to accomplish. And so really the short answer to your question is, I want to accomplish whatever the Spirit wants to do at the time that He's using me there for, and I try really hard to get out of the way and not make it my agenda, my message, you know, what's in, what's in my bailiwick, and I try to get out of the way and let the Spirit— speak to whatever it is that you know he wants to accomplish at that retreat but it's very much guided by what the uh what the leadership is calling me to to come in and do
2: now we've only got about four minutes left so i wanted to touch on if someone's interested in having you come speak at their parish how would they go about doing that
1: they could reach me on my website which is um NEM. So for like New Evangelization Ministries, just the initials N E M dot training, and that's that's my website. Not dot com, not dot com, dot org, dot training. So NEM dot training. or they can do New Evangelization Ministries at, uh, or at NewEvangelizationMinistries dot org is another one. But um, NEM dot training is a short one. If they would go on the website, uh, they can contact me, and then we can begin. Or they can choose to email me at. Um, DRP for Deacon Ralph Pollo at nem.training. And we can start the dialogue there for, you know, calendar days. But they can go to my website and see what dates are available. The calendar is pretty up to date. Um, And we just start a dialogue and then we we have a process. We take them through to, to pencil them in and then make it a firm booking.
2: Now, I imagine this time of year is pretty much your busiest time or do you stay pretty busy throughout the year?
1: Well, before COVID, I was booked out about a year and a half in advance. So things are now starting to open up. Uh, Lent is slammed. So I'm not going to be home any weekend until Easter. Um, So, yeah, so then begin to – so typically East uh, – Lent is the first part of my calendar to fill up. Then Advent becomes the second part because parishes are looking for – typically looking for missions or something then – but frankly, I tell parishes, if you're looking for an evangelistic mission where you want to do, start some follow-up afterwards, which we have some programs, some um, materials to do follow-up after evangelistic missions, uh, then you'd want to make sure you, you do it at a time when people are going to be available to do the follow-up, because that's critical, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the follow-up is always critical. Satan just needs three weeks to get them back to where they were be- before a mission, an evangel- evangelization mission took took place.
2: Now, in the last uh, minute or so, uh, you have been doing this for quite a while. And uh, I assume that uh, you don't get a whole lot of time at your home parish to— uh, be part of that parish as a deacon normally is. So, um, your priest is okay with this?
1: Yeah, yeah, he knows I'm a weird deacon. <laughs> um, I like so I'm able to help out a lot of times during daily weekday masses type ah. of deal. But it, you know that you know the truth about the diaconate is that, that that parish is supposed to be the the bus depot from which we leave from and return to doing from doing ministry at least in its original sense. That's what we were supposed to do. So, <clears throat> not to be serving just in the parish, although that's become such a greater need because of the shortage of priests. Yes. But yeah, I'm definitely a weird deacon.
2: Well, this is where I was going with this, that you are doing what the diaconate is intended to do, to go out into the field and make a disciples of Christ. Amen. Amen. Uh, deacon uh, Ralph Poyo, the founder of New Evangelization Ministries. I want to thank you very much for being on the program. I want to remind our listeners that the Red Sea Roundup will air again next week on Wednesday, and be sure to tune in for that. Until then, when considering the many ways in which you might share your time, talents, and treasures with the people of God, always round up.
1: Take off,